A Café con Emoción. My name is Rebecca Castellam. My name is Gina Villarraga. I'm Xiomara Romero. And I'm Paloma Vargas. We are a group of mental health providers creating a space to magnify the voices of nuestra gente, the Latinx community in Orange County, California, highlighting social, emotional, political, and economic barriers while bridging the gap of access to holistic approaches in mental health. Café con Emoción as a public service is neither legal or mental health service or advice. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation. Guests on the podcast have the right to express their own individual views in Café con Emoción, and members do not imply endorsement of them or any entity they represent. It is my pleasure to announce a well-known journalist in our community, Gustavo Arellano. He has been a journalist for about 20 years and joined the Los Angeles Times in 2018. Gustavo shares our common appreciation for people and history, and he writes on well-versed topics of politics, food, social justice, and addressing topics of interest in the Latinx community. Aside from all his great accomplishments, you may remember his column, Ask a Mexican. He was featured in the Netflix series, Taco Chronicles and Crazy Delicious. We are honored to have you be a guest on our podcast. I never, ever imagined I'd ever be a reporter. I went to school to Orange Coast College first and well, yeah, in, in higher education. Now, Orange, Coast, Orange Coast College first and Chapman University. I thought I was going to be a filmmaker. I thought I was going to make movies. Mm -hmm. Or then later on, I transitioned. I thought I was going to be a film librarian. Uh, getting into journalism was completely by accident. All of that said, yeah, I've been a journalist now for 20 years. I, you know, the, the, actually, the, my 20th anniversary, my first article ever published was also an election. It was after the week after election day, so election day 2000. So I'm almost reaching my 20 year anniversary. I, I still can't believe it. <laughs> the, the years really do fly by, but whatever, you own it. Um, for me, I, I've always been a nerd my entire life. So the history, all that slipping in, it's, it was always there. I always try to, I don't know, I always like humor. I always like satire. So whenever I do make appearances or whatever, if I can make people laugh, I'll try. People say I'm a comedian. I'm not a comedian, not in a million years, but I do know that it's easier for people to accept truths or stuff that they don't want to hear if you cut it with a joke. That said, not everything's going to be a joke. So I also what try to bring, I don't know, I, I, I try to do stories that land on the right side of history. I don't want to be seen as like years. I, I'm someone who very much believes in legacy. As you know, mm -hmm. that my, my written work, I'm not saying like, oh, everyone's going to remember me. I don't, that's not my point. My point is people, my, my stories are out there. My books, my articles are out there. At the end, later on, if anyone ever encounters like, oh, who's this Gustavo? And if they take the overall view of what I wrote, I would hope is like, this is someone who was on the right side of history. This is someone that comforted the afflicted and afflicted the comfortable. And therefore this is somebody that, yeah, this, this, this person was all right. You know, their writing was cool. And like, you could learn something about Orange County during the nineties and 2000s and now the 2020s by reading this guy's work. I love that. I love that. I like how you said, uh, you know, Conflict the afflicted, <laughs> you know, that yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I love that. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. It's an old saying in journalism. Like, I, and I think all journalism should be that way. With the LA, with the OC Weekly, it was a little bit more easier because we we're just all over the place. We could like 
we're like a street fighting paper. We could fight, literally fight people. Um, LA Times were a little bit mas calmados, you know, you have to be a little bit more professional, a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more, I'm a columnist now, so I don't have to be that objective. But even when I was at the, uh, at the OC Weekly, I always believed in hearing what the other side had to say. I didn't have to agree with it, but I just wanted to hear it because I, I think as a reporter, you always have to be open to the idea that you might be wrong. I think you, like, if you want to be a smart person, you have to do, you have to take that devil's advocate point of view. It's like, consider what the other side says, consider what the other side thinks. And if you do, then you could think just like them. And then you're going to know them better than they know themselves. That's going to put you in an advantage to be able to move forward with your life or to be able to enact social policy or, or whatever, you know, if, if you live in a silo where you don't even want to know about the other side, then you're going to be, you know, then don't be surprised when you're surprised by them. Yeah. And that does go for both sides, right? Especially like right now where it feels like we're so divided, like mm -hmm. there is, there is these sides, so you have to get to understand both sides. Yeah. That's, I, I think it's important. I, I don't believe I, I look at history in the long, long run. I mean, people are saying, oh, it's going to be a civil war. There's like, I don't think it is, you know, famous last words, right? But I, I really don't, I <laughs> well, really we'll don't. We'll find out next week. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we're going to find out soon we'll enough. Next week. I, I really don't think so. I, what I do see is a lot of fear on both sides. I find that sad. I think fear is a dangerous, it's a natural emotion, but it's also a dangerous emotion because people fight for what they believe in and they'll fight hard for it. And, you know, but that said, politics has always been ugly. We've always been a paranoid society uh, in, the, in the United States. You know, there's a, a famous essay about it, Richard Hofstadter, the paranoid style in American politics. So this itself is not new. So I just wish though people had that perspective historical perspective because history guides us in telling us what we should do what we shouldn't do and the, what, what's it what's the saying history doesn't repeat itself but it sounds the same I forget this is very like I know too many cliches or too many quotes because I like quotes but something like that like history doesn't repeat <laughs> itself but it kind of sounds the same let's just leave it at that okay yeah and you know I think what's great in in bringing in history and that's something that we hope to highlight because in our community, you know, as clinicians, we often are diagnosing or, or, you know, looking at this, but in order to understand our clients, we have to know the history and we have to know the history of not only what it is to be Latinx um, identity or however our clients identify, but it's also what is it like to be here in Orange County as a Latina, as a Colombiana, as first generation, um, walking into some of these spaces that aren't always feeling the safest or, you know, the things that we encounter, you know, whether it's racism or, um, you know, the micro macro aggressions, right? So um, this, you know, history, I know that for me as a clinician is extremely important and history, not only here of OC, but, um, you know, also the family history. Um, and as clinicians, that's always such an important piece of understanding our community. What, what's great, I've been very excited in many ways, disillusioned, not disillusioned, disappointed, but also excited by 2020. And one of the things that I'm really happy about is people are, are, are finally realizing our history is not the history that has been taught in the past, all glossy and like never about the bad things and people now really want to learn about the bad things and mm -hmm. it's funny because you know 
people say like, oh, why do you want to be so negative? Why do you got to learn about these bad histories? And for me, it's like, it's not about whether it's good or bad. It's history. This is stuff that actually happened. If all you want are the good spots, then you're a juvenile. And there's nothing against juveniles, but we, you know, to function in this world, juveniles eventually have to be turned into adults. If you remain an eternal juvenile, you know, an eternal juvenile in arrested development, so to speak, then you're not going to get far in this world. You're going to have a bunch of problems in this world. So, and to me, it's, a, it's interesting how some people are so angry that people are having the, this, these historical reckonings. Like, well, what do you mean Robert E. Lee was bad? What do you mean that there was a KKK? How does that matter? But it does matter. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. all of you clinicians, you know how something that seems so inconsequential in the life can have such a profound influence on somebody. Like you can generations. Not, ge generations. For generations, yeah. Not, yeah, yeah. It's not just an individual, it goes down generations and spreads through communities. And this is just one moment. This is just one incident in one family's life. So how can you, with a straight face, then tell me the segregation of the past or any historical moment widespread in Orange County or whatever is not going to influence where we're at today? And they never have an answer to that. They just say, oh, you're negative. Okay, well, I'd rather be negative and on the right side of history than be a Pollyanna and be shown to be a fool later on. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. And I think, that, you know, as as a woman of color and just just a person of color when you grow up and you and you're feeling certain things mm -hmm. but nobody explains where that's coming from that angst that anger that resentment and you're like but why and it doesn't match and it's not what you're learning at school you know you're like where is the disconnect then you really feel more isolated and mm -hmm. more alone Absolutely. and then you just get really angry when you find the truth you know i mean really there's this yeah. whole thing of, you know, for me, that's what part of that was my story too. It's like, I, I, I learned the truth and I was like, oh, no wonder I feel like this. No wonder I'm so upset. No wonder I feel like there's so much injustice. It wasn't just my, my, me, it wasn't me being negative. It, like, it really happened and it really oh, was yeah. here. Oh, no, I mean, it, it, you, this is why you would avert so many problems as adults if you teach kids the truth about things in high school and look. I like I always give this example. I speak to all sorts of groups. I speak to everything from kindergartners to uh, senior citizens, liberals, Republicans, whatever. Um, I always keep the same message. I always say I talk to the same message, but you just have to uh, tailor those messages to the particular audience. So you have to have these deep truths. You have to tell people, look, the United States has a messed up history. There's been good there's also been bad. Let's talk about them both equally. And maybe if by talking about these things, I remember I went, what, what, what high school was it? It was some high school, but in Orange County. So I gave them this whole history of Orange County and all the racism and whatnot. Then young man, he's like, wow, listening to this history makes me really angry. And I said, good. It's perfectly fine to be angry about what you're hearing. But now what are you going to do with that anger? Mm -hmm. The sin then is if you let the anger, if you don't do anything with the anger and you let it fester in you and then that harms you later on, or if you use the anger like just to, you know, for violence or something bad, I said, channel that anger and do it into something constructive. So if you're upset about that, ask yourself, why is that? And how can you, how can you better things so people like yourself years later do not feel angry? And I remember like all the kids' faces are like, 
Oh, because you, you know, I know it was a working class high school, mostly Latinx kids, most, probably mostly Mexican American, uh, whatnot. And I remember just seeing, like, when the kid said, I feel angry, I could see in everyone's face, like, it was registered as well. Like, they're, like they, they were liking what I had to hear. It was all brand new. And then he said, angry. It's like, he expressed what the rest of them felt. But then I gave him my answer. You could see, like, this, almost like he said, this realization that, oh, you know what? That's right. Channeling anger. We're always told anger's bad. We're always told, don't get angry that, you know, yeah. you're messed up. But now this guy's telling us that anger can be righteous but you just have to be constructive with it and i and i think that's just so mm. important like all this anger that that's happened in 2020 that's okay what's not okay is to not do anything about it and what's not okay is to make it into a destructive thing make it into a constructive thing mm -hmm. yeah yeah um as you're talking you know how have you seen the within you know the past 20 30 years I don't know how long you've been in Orange County. Were you, were you, were you, did you grow I'm up? I'm an in old County? man. I, I was here before Orange County was created. I, I, were you here when it was all orange groves? Oh, yeah. No, you vote, know what? <laughs> I was there almost at the end. So I'm 41 years old, which means I was born in 1979. Um, the packing house, which is all hipster and dumb now. I remember it when it was abandoned for years because yeah. I grew I grew up right down the street from it. I remember being four years, where the house that I grew up on, which is right behind the lumber yard that's probably gonna be knocked down right down the street from the packing house at Santa Ana Street. Um, it used to be in the middle of orange groves. And I remember distinctively being four years old and my dad walking me down further down Santa Ana Street to a cannery that was still operating and we would buy orange juice in a tin can so you still had to open it like with a you know with a can opener not not the twisty ones but with the tab and they would put them on they would put labels on them to sell nationwide but we would get them fresh from the, the assembly line and drink it so that's how old I am much much older than you than stand there, of course but anyways but your question though just um well that was part of the question but just you know what have you seen at least with the the latinx community our community what have you seen what cha what what changes can you say okay these are milestones for our people our community here in Orange County? I know there's a lot and that's a broad question, but what comes to mind? Well, just more political representation, um, more numbers, period. Um, Anaheim, for instance, when I was growing up in Anaheim, yeah, I had a big Latino community, but we weren't the majority. Like if you thought of a Mexican town, you would think of Santana and, and Stanton to a lesser extent when it came to Orange County and also Placentia, but not Anaheim, because Anaheim was still very, it wasn't very white, but like Latinos were not the majority. We were a big figure. Now, of course, La, uh, you know, Latinos or, you know, Mexicans specifically, we make up the majority of people in Anaheim. That has been a huge change in my lifetime. Um, I also think in the county, like people are now thinking of when we think of Latinos, we just don't think of Mexicans anymore. You see, I never thought of that as well, because when I was going to Anaheim, yeah, like the school was like 95% Latino and mostly Mexicans, but one of my best friends was Salvadoran. I remember uh, students there. We didn't have any South Americans yet, but I do remember like um, it was all Central Americans, like uh, este, uh, Nicaraguan, Nicas and uh, Hondurans, Costa Ricans. We even had some folks from Belize and right now, but now more around the around OC, there's more uh, diversity of the Latinos, like Colombians. Like Colombians make up the largest 
uh, group of South Americans in Orange County. And a lot of people don't know that, but they're slowly becoming more and more prominent. So Especially numbers, South Orange County for some reason. Oh yeah, South like basically <laughs> Lake Forest South for sure. Um, big, big, like, you know, it's interesting, but it's great to see them assert themselves into the Latino family, so to speak, and put themselves out there in Orange County. So definitely numbers, but also just representation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like that's changed the politics, at least here in Orange County? It's finally changing the politics because mm -hmm. what you had, the few Latinos that went into office, they were all conservative. They were Democrats. I mean, there was a some Republicans, but that's a that's a whole other story. But the the, the Latinos who would run would be mostly centrist, um, mo almost all Mexican American, and yeah, they. I mean, I'm looking at Loretta Sanchez. Nothing against Loretta, but she was never exactly exciting. No one ever really like thought, oh, she's gonna be a game changer or whatnot. But you know, her her status in Orange County history is secure. But now you mm -hmm. see that the newer class of Latino Democrats is not just Mexicans, you have Central America, or Latino politicians, not just Mexicans, you're getting Central Americans. Like I know Costa Mesa, for instance, I think she's a Nicaraguense, who's a city council member, I forget her name, uh, but it's, it doesn't seem like a Hispanic sounding name, but, it, but she is. Um, you're seeing more progressive politics from these younger politicians. And so you're seeing more excitement in terms, it's not just the politicos who are excited about, um, politics anymore it's uh social activists i yeah. you know because i also yeah. grew up in the social activism movement until i became a reporter then i kind of had to give that up but a lot of those social <laughs> activists they were just they were just into social activism they never they never thought of ever running for office because they thought it was corrupt and it would corrupt them but now you're seeing a lot of these social activists running for office in santana in anaheim in I mean, there was a former communist who uh, won a seat in the San Juan Capistrano City Council, like literally a real honest to goodness communist, a Latino. Then he ended up switching as a Democrat. But like seeing that is going to change the politics of Orange yeah. County. I, I and, you know, and people talk a lot about, oh, yeah, the blue wave because the congressional delegation, 75 percent, at least in, uh, as, as recently as 2018, about 75 percent of the local seats. So we're talking about city council, school board, water dr districts and all that. They were still held by the Republicans. But that is changing because you're seeing more Latino, young Latinos running for office and winning. That's true. That's true. Poco a poco. Poco a poco. And I think it's taken a long time. And just, I mean, like I said, I, I, we've been in Orange County for a long time here. I feel like it's finally changing where, where you do see more of Orange County being a little more grassroots. Like, you know, if, if you compare Orange County with like, you know, San Francisco, there's a lot more activism, a lot more oh, people yeah. involved in politics. And, and then you kind of move to Orange County and everybody's just like, I'm not going to say anything, not going to do anything, <laughs> or we're all conservative. And then yeah. I, I feel like finally we're seeing this wave where people, especially the younger people, I think that's why like, I, I like like all these young 20-somethings, Rebecca, 20-somethings. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Rebecca's our baby. She's our baby, but she's, she's powerhouse here. Um, <laughs> where they are taking the stand and it's like wow i love it and they're speaking out and they're making a voice and and you see the protests and you see some protests actually here in orange county and i feel like that's a good move for orange county yeah no activists yeah Latinos. i think too like for me as um the orange county that i see is i think really different because i am living that um um 
part where, you know, the, the newer generations are getting more um, actively involved in politics and um, we're seeing the vote, the voters age get a little bit younger in Orange County. We're seeing them get more in involved in the gentrification in Santa Ana, whether it's, you know, on the good side or the bad side or what have you. Um, yeah, and I think I, I really appreciate that you brought in the people who are running for council. I'm in your, I think you mentioned um, one person named, I think her name is Kim, Kim Nguyen. I actually went to Didn't high school Kim with Bernice her. Kim Bernice yeah. Oh, wow. I that's went crazy. to high school. I went to college with her. <laughs> and so it's just really interesting, though, to see the transformation that's being brought up upon um, in Orange County. Yeah, no, there's always been activism in Orange County. That's what I've always written about at the OC Weekly. I mean, you had orange pickers striking, well, farm workers striking as early as the 1900s. You, you, you've always had uh, activism, both left and more like moderate politics. What, what I'm saying is that in recent decades, the hardcore activists, very few of them ever got into political office just yeah. because they didn't mm -hmm. think they could make much of a change. We're talking about people like in, folks uh, involved with the Centro Cultural de Mexico in Santana, which mm -hmm. really was like this breeding ground, this uh, uh, this training academy for the current generation of progressivism that you see across Orange County. I mean, you have other things as well, but I was I was a member of the board of directors of the Centro Cultura, Cur, Cultural uh, years ago. No, yeah, Cultural, sorry. I have something in my mouth, that's why. I was, I'm, I'm eating some... Uh, uh, soy, uh, uh, is it Soiriso? I think Soiriso. That was my, that my wife gave me a little bit. <laughs> nice. So, got cut up. But no, I, I was a member of the board of directors in the early 2000s. And again, I gave it up once I became, got more into journalism. But I remember, like, we would say, oh, maybe some of us should run for office. Nah, nah, that's selling out. And then you have to play that dirty game or whatnot. But eventually now, <clears throat> now people are trying to make that thread of running for office and not losing their progressive principles. We'll see how long that lasts. You know, I'm always a cynic when it comes to politics, but that said, I don't, I'm not someone who hates politics so much that I don't involve myself in the, pro <clears throat> in the process. Is that as, choice? Uh, That's what Chorizo is killing you right there. I know. I, 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 it's not, it's not a, something that um, I hate so much that I'm not going to vote. I, I, as long as I've been able to vote, I voted in every single election. How do you think that's going to change the future? Well, if you have more people involved in the political process, not just, you know, getting out the vote, running for office, caring about these political parties, well, it's going to change the future based on where, where this activism comes from. And more importantly, it's going to check what the Republicans have always done. The Republicans have always dominated politics in Orange County. Always, always. Democrats have mostly been a laughing stock, But now with this new younger wave of of Democrats and Latinos. I mean, the head of the Democratic Party of Orange County, Ada Briseño, Nicaragüense, comes from labor. I mean, she's the one who helped organize all the Disneyland hotel workers. So she's definitely coming in with these progressive principles and definitely coming in wanting to diversify the party. Oh, that that totally, you know, and she's gotten into a lot of um, <clears throat> encounters and not good ones with her fellow Democrats who say like, oh, we don't have to move so progressive for so fast, but Ada sees the future. The future is young, and the future is uh, BIPOC in in Orange County. And some folks sometimes they don't see it that way. But you know, woe to the person who doesn't see what's right in front of their face. Mm -hmm. Very true. True. I, I can just keep asking you questions because you you know I'm ask away. <laughs> I'm, I'm here as long as the senators need me for. <laughs> well, you know. Because you you you've talked to so many people and like you said you, you've you've done so many speeches and you've written so much and your your you know your your focus is on history. I, you know I always struggle 
with um, yeah. the Latino who's maybe more conservative, the Latino who, who hey, you're, you're Latino, we're, we're, we're the same, we're from the same community, but you're having a very different point of view, especially when I was politics, I, I think that's the topic mostly right now, but as a Latino, I'm having a hard time not being upset at you, or I'm having a hard time being okay with what those beliefs are when they feel like it's against our people, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's na it's natural though. I mean, Latinos are humans, and humans are going to come in every gradation of the political spectrum, and not all not all Latinos are going to agree with what you have to say. Um, I you know I've I've for the LA Times I've been doing a lot of columns specific. <laughs> Here's my dog because you always have to do a little dog. His name's Hook. Sorry, little Hook cameo right there. Perfect. <laughs> obligatory cameo. Um, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of stories about Latinos and like, you know, Latinos, like I did one on Latino Republicans. I'm doing another one about Latino antipathy toward affirmative action because uh, Prop 16, which brings back affirmative, would bring back affirmative action to California. It's losing at the polls. And one of the main reasons is because Latino support for it is like 50-50 and not really, uh, you know, not really out there. So we could be a swing vote, but in a, in a bad way. And so a lot of people are surprised, like, how could Latinos be conservative? The Republican Party hates Latinos. The Republican Party is anti-Latino. The Republican Party this. And this is what I mean about knowing people outside of your box so you could understand. And you talk to these Latinos, look, they're like, they're, they're your aunts, they're your uncles, they're your cousins, they're your brothers and sisters. They're just one of our family. They just think for whatever reason that the Republican Party is gonna be better for them. And it's all gonna be different things. Some of them, it's all about abortion and they're against abortion. Mm -hmm. And they say the Democrats just, you know, loving abortion and the Republicans somehow being like completely anti-abortion. Who loves abortion though? Come on. Exactly. <laughs> no one does. That, that's the thing though. No, no one, and no one ever wants to say that, but they don't. The Republican party are like pro, you know, quote unquote pro-life people say like, oh, well, if you're not 100% against abortion, then you must love it, which makes no sense at all. But there's those Latinos who do believe that. Some, some Latinos look, once you get, once you start getting money in your life, more, more often than not, you're going to, all you're going to obsess about is taxes. And the Republicans are always going to say, oh, we're the party of no taxes. So then that's someone else that flows over to that way or whatever. So I think to have these conversations with these Latino conservatives, you just have to get at the root of why. Why do you call yourself a conservative? Like, what is it about your conservative principles that makes you want to be Republican and vote for Trump? But you have to have those conversations. You can't yeah. cast them off immediately. Nothing upsets me more then this has been going on for the past four years. If on Facebook you say, if I, if you're a Republican and or you support uh, Donald Trump, I don't want to talk to you. Like, look, I don't support Donald Trump at all, at all. Never have, never will. Didn't vote for him in 2016. I'm not voting for him this election. That said, I have friends who voted for Trump. We'll have discussions about it. Maybe by understanding them, then again, by understanding them, I could improve my own positions, my own arguments. And you never know. Sometimes people, if you talk to them and you really have a conversation, you can flip their mind. If it has to be one one at a time, poco a poco. And if you could just change one person's mind, then it's worth it to be hearing all these Latino conservatives. Yeah, thank yeah. you for saying that. We're talking a lot about politics, which is wonderful. We all are excited to talk about it. But I just want to draw a parallel, you know, with kind of what we do in therapy in that often we do have to challenge these black and white thinking, just as you were pointing out that, um, you know, it's not, why do you support abortion? You know, are, and when, when you think of 
or, or against abortion, right? So a lot of those thoughts are these black and white, which is as clinicians in the therapeutic process, we often challenge those. Well, it doesn't have to be black or white. What is the gray area in between, right? So, and often um, within our clients, challenging some of those conversations of, you know, let's break those cycles, let's break those patterns. But in order to do that, you, you start with yourself, but also with speaking with your family members, right? Changing those things that are being said. And those aren't easy things to do. But I, I like how you pointed out that oftentimes in challenging these um, extreme thoughts or um, just, you know, beliefs that don't align with our community and with beliefs that really don't do our community any good, um, it starts off really small, right? We start with planting that seed and then little by little being able to sit through those maybe aggravating conversations <laughs> and yeah. you know, even if you don't agree with them. So it, it's, you know, I'm just kind of bringing that parallel with within mental health that often we do do uh, as our second nature with clients, but, and we encourage our clients to do it. Um, so it- Yeah, yeah. You, you know, what's the gray area between black and white? Life. Life is a big, humongous streak of gray. And so when you only think in a binary, again, that's a juvenile way of thinking. Adults have to, adults have to understand nuances in order to be able to succeed in life, in order to be able to have good mental health, frankly. If, because if you only have black and white, you're just going to disappoint yourself and anger yourself and aggravate yourself like no other. And that's just not a healthy way to do it. It doesn't mean you have to agree with the other side. Not at all. But you at least have to know that. And this is the thing, I'll, you know, so despite all this, you know, despite everything with Trump, everything with the Republican Party, Trump's support among Latinos has not dropped. It's still at the 25 to 30 percent, which is obviously in the minority, but it's a sizable minority. You look at the 2016 election, well, African-Americans voted for Hillary against Trump at a 90 to 10 percent clip, which is huge. Mm -hmm. they, uh, I think Trump is at 15 percent now with black uh, with black voters which still isn't that much, but someone improvement with Latinos, it has not, has not moved at all. And a lot of that has to do with, look, there is a streak of conservatism in the Latino community based on our, you know, supposed family values and religion or whatnot. And the fact that, that uh, the fact that these Latino voters, uh, Trump supporters are not going over to the Democrats. And in fact, in some cases are growing. I think it really speaks to the intolerance that folks on the left have towards these people keep browbeating them and saying, you're terrible, you're horrible, you're a vendido, sellout, whatever. They're going to say, well, I'm not going to change. Why should I try to pay attention to your lessons if you're just going to call me a sellout and not acknowledge who I am? I think humans at the end want to be felt acknowledged. And once they're acknowledged, then they'll be able to, at least most of the time, sit down and listen to you. And then that's how you change people's minds and perspectives. Mm -hmm. But screaming at them and ostracizing them right off the bat, not only does it go nowhere, but it might spell your doom later on. That's true. That's true. Like the name calling does not help. People just get defensive and more stuck in their ways. And all of you folks know that exactly, like way more so than us and than you know us from the outside who don't who are not in the therapist world. But all of you know exactly how humans react when they are insulted, when they're put on the defensive, when like they're just put in a negative spot. It's not a pretty spot. Life is supposed to be about being in a positive spot. Most of our como se dice psychoses all come from there there's no psycho very few psychoses i would imagine that comes from the neck from the positive spots it's all from the negative so why do you want to keep people 
why do you want to approach people and put them in a negative spot? It's not good. Yeah, when you're when it's over positive, it's called mania, and that's not mania. Good. There you go. No, manias are not good. Yeah, you see, <laughs> I knew. Too, I was gonna say it's too good. That's too good. For, yeah, exactly. You know, it's too yeah. good. That's too good there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how how do you kind of keep your own sanity? You know, with with all you know, the work that you do and knowing so much, and you know, what's your what's kind of you know in, in the therapy world we call that self care, but what's kind of mm -hmm. like your passion? What how do you take self-care for yourself? How do you enjoy your, your life? You know, when we talk about life. Well, I love my job. I mean, I always tell people, I always say, oh, you work so hard. You're doing so many things. My response is, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't be that productive. As simple as that. So I'm very, very blessed and privileged that my job, I don't consider it to be a job. I just consider it to be fun. That said, self-care, I love to garden. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we have a small house, but we try to do the most of it with gardening, tomato, you know, what, whatever's in season, tomatoes and trees and all that. Also, like, you know, I like to spend time with my wife. She has a store in Santana, Alta Baja Market. So I just like to see her, you know, see her succeed and enjoy her food, of course. Um, and I love to read. I love reading. I've been reading my entire life. That kind of helps out in, you know, in sports. And I just try to, I, I, I try to maintain, I, I think to be in this position, you always have to maintain hope. I think humans, mm -hmm. if you take away their hope and you take away their humor, then what's the point of life at that point? You might as well end it. And that's when you truly crush people. And I personally think humor is the last thing to go before hope, but that's, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But I all, you always have to think that things are going to get positive, that things can get positive. Now, that's not to say, oh, I'm not going to do anything and things are going to get right. No, you have to work for it. You have to fight for it, but you have to maintain that hope that life is not like your problems are not perpetual, are not impossible to beat. You have to think that, yes, I can beat it. I just have to, you know, echarle ganas or just get to it. So that, that's that's my self-care. I'm going to ask you a very therapist question. You don't have to answer it, but you know, Please. you just like, again, you speak, I get, I ask questions. Um, where do you think you got that, that perspective of hope? Hmm. Wow, where's my where's my couch, right? So I can sit down and like really marinate this. I told you, you don't have to answer. Uh, no, me. this is great. No, no, no. No, 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 no. No, no, no. This is great. You know, as someone who gets interviewed a lot, I always love questions that I've never heard before or that I've never been asked before, and this is a great one. Where do I get my perspective on hope? I get. I mean, it must be. I don't know, because my parents, they were all, I, I guess I saw them, they were always working hard and we were not the richest of people, but they were able to buy a house for themselves and like take care of things. So from a young age, like that's where I definitely learned the, the work ethic and just the idea that with work, anything, by working hard, anything can be solved. But in terms of thinking that things will get better, it's probably, you know, from from like junior high or high school, the years where I was truly a nerd. And I always try to tell people like, I was a nerd when it was a cool, when it was not cool when to be a nerd, <laughs> when it was not cool. Cause now being a nerd is cool. Like you could see kids with glasses, not when I was growing up. Like I remember second grade, I, like literally I remember I was in Anaheim at Thomas Jefferson elementary and I was one of the cool kids uh, right up to second grade. Then I cut like first part of second grade. I'm still one of the cool kids. I put on those glasses. I'm not a cool kid anymore. Aww. Now all of a sudden, all my friends, I know here comes the therapy, right? So much so that 
I refused to wear glasses in third grade. So I was able to be cool one final year. And then, then we move, we go to another school. And I was put in a gate class. So at least I was surrounded by nerds. So that kind of helped. But by, you know, by the time junior high, oh, junior high was miserable. It was absolutely miserable. Like I think with most people. And I, I maybe just in my mind, I, I had to tell myself like one day it's going to get better. One day, you know, one day nerds will rule the world and <laughs> all those people will be like, you know, glow or whatnot. But oh, my wife's just snickering on the side. <laughs> it's true, honey. <laughs> but I, you know, I just, and, and, you know, and it's funny because people and being that nerd and getting bullied just made, made me have a lot of anger for sure. Just, I thought, you know, life was unfair or whatnot. But I always told myself, like, I got to get, you know, not, not so much I got to get out of here, though part of that was right. But I'm like, the only way for me to have a better life is to work hard at it, figure something out. And especially in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I'm like, I'm just going to, so I wasn't even good at, like, in school, didn't have my grades or anything like that. So I just think that's it is, because I think without hope, then what else do you have? I, I, I all of that said, I wasn't going to be defeated, you know, no, 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 in other words, I wasn't going to give up. So that just, yeah, I, I think that's probably the best answer that I have. Just that my childhood and just uh, experience and just like, I never saw my, my, you know, my parents had it hard. My dad wasn't the best husband to my mom. Um, but, and, you know, he was nice to me, but of course I'm the oldest male in the family. But um, I just seeing that even then they just kept working, kept working, kept working. And at the end, they were able to carve out a good life for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very common thing of having immigrants as parents and growing up is is really, if you really think about it, it's a confident, a lot of work ethic, right? Like we just, you just keep at it, man. You just don't give up. You just see it. You just keep at it to, to make it happen. That's all you have. My parents didn't have money. I mean, then we didn't grow up poor. My parents definitely grew up poor back in the rancho, but like, I'm never going to say that I grew up poor. I grew up working class. And then at by the end, by the time I became an adult, we were upper blue working class, but we were still very much blue collar working class type of people. Again, my dad was a truck driver. My mom was a tomato canner. That's not exactly white collar professions, but they, that, you know, they had a, my mom, uh, she came to the United States first, but she dropped out in school in ninth grade here. My dad dropped out in school in fourth grade in Mexico, in Zacatecas. And so they, they had no, nothing to teach me. They couldn't teach me in my classes. They couldn't help me out with my homework. The only thing they could give me in terms of teaching me something was work ethic. You know, I'm being kind to people as well. I, I definitely got that from my mom, but like just work ethic was, that's all they could give me. Where They weren't going to give me a, any money. They, they weren't going to give me, you know, un domingo, nada así, like, because they just, they couldn't. Yeah, yeah, but that taught you resiliency too. And I, I, I see that like, um, just in like my circles, when I work with my clients, it's that resiliency of those, those immigrant I don't know, traditions or, or costumbres or, or just the fight. It's, I feel like it's just like, it's the fight. Like my parents too, we worked, they worked all the time. They just worked all the time, you know? Um, it's good and it's bad. It has its, mm -hmm. its goodness and it has its, its effects, so. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's, it's a working, I, I think it's a working class mentality. I remember my, um, but it has to be, it has to be a working class mentality with optimism. And that's the thing with the immigrant. The immigrant, I would argue, has this is actually what disturbs me most about the American, about the American, como se dice, perspective right now. The whiniest people I know 
are white Republicans. Oh my God, all they do is whine and whine. The taxes are too high, the world's horrible, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, most of these folks, they live in like, oh, I don't know, let's just say um, Aliso Viejo or like some like wealthy area. They have, they're driving Mercedes-Benz C-classes. They're all drowning in debt and they're miserable. I have ne like, meanwhile, I know actual poor folks, like Latinos, immigrants, and sure life is hard for them, but they're nowhere near as negative as that. They came to this country. You have to have that hope and that optimism that you could improve life for yourself. I think it's so dangerous when we as Latinos say, oh, it's hopeless. Like we could not improve our lot in society. Are we still screwed? Oh, absolutely. We're screwed every single day by being here in the United States. But can we improve? Yes. Have we improved? Yes. So let's keep fighting for that instead of just drowning in this sea of negativity the way so many white Republicans do. I mean, and, and that really angers me because those people have so much privilege and yet they think they're the most persecuted folks on the planet. It's like, you folks do not even know what the hard life is. You, and, no, nor, and you're too cowardly to try to figure out what the hard life is. All of this is out of your own, como se dice, uh, your own indulgences that you need to have the nicest car. You need to have the biggest home. You need to take the craziest trips and all that. You need to scrimp and save and do all of that. Like me, like, I, you know, I live the life that I, that, that I love, but I live a very frugal life. Like, you know, before coronavirus, of course, my wife and I, we would only take one vacation a year. We'd do a big road trip to the South. And, you know, part of it was because, you know, we, we love going out. Like there's this big yard sale out there in Kentucky and Tennessee. So we would go out there and, and you know, but, and, and we would splurge for a little bit, but I would save up, we would save up all year just to get that. But other than that, we live very simple life, life, so lifestyles so that, you know, when something like coronavirus does happen, yeah, you know, it's, it hasn't been the easiest thing, but we're at a far better place. And some people just spend and spend and spend and spend and have all this debt. And, and now, now they're like screwed. They're absolutely screwed. Like mm -hmm. I, that immigrant, I mean, this is why I've never had a problem with immigrants coming to this country. Oh, don't you think it's too many? I'm like, no, because those people are coming to this country because they, they have hope. And that's what we need as a country always to be great. The best that we can be is hope. The minute we're drowning in that negativity, well, here we are because we have a president who does nothing but uh, just live in the world of negativity. Yeah, yeah, I think, really so. I think so. I do have a question. What would you say to the younger generation or the immigrants that are coming to the United States? You know that with que vienen con esa hambre de hacer algo. Like, what would you say like, to them? Yeah. Or... it's it's hard. It's it's hard. It, no, no piensen que. Pueden venir aquí y no hacer nada. Yo sé que no sa que saben eso, pero it really is hard. Some people say, oh, it's harder now than it's ever been before. I don't think so. I think it's mm -hmm. always been hard. Obviously, now you have different issues. I think lo, lo, lo que le decía a ellos, honestly, go to other places that is not Cal Southern California, because Southern California to live right now is undocumented. It's hard. It's so expensive. I don't think it's a good life to have, you know, be it's not a good life for your kids to be four families in one house in Santana and not in the best of neighborhoods. That's not a good place. To, and everyone acknowledges that, but I understand sometimes you have to because of financial stuff, but move elsewhere in the United States, like move in the Midwest, move in the South. Like I do a lot of traveling. So I see all these Latinos who have come to the South and have been able to establish better lives for themselves. And yeah, you know, it's probably scarier because you're going to be a minority there. But that just gives you that much more of an effort to try to make something of yourself there. So just be, you know, be ready for la lucha. Pero you know, I'm, 
every generation of immigrant that comes here makes something of themselves. So also, also know that you're joining this long and proud tradition. So don't listen to the haters and just do what you have to do in order to make your life better in this country. What's your favorite dicho? Dicho oh, that, oh. that you've heard um, <laughs> maybe from your parents or it doesn't have to be your family. Maybe it's just, you know, um, we're always curious about los dichos. Yeah, I have a whole book of dichos in my uh, <laughs> library right there. I could have pulled it out. But the one I keep saying, it, it, you know, recently is lo, lo, lo barato cuesta. You know, what's cheap costs you at the end. My mom, all, you know, may she rest in peace. My mom would always tell me that because look, I'm a cheapskate. I'm a cheapskate. So I would buy like, you know, back, back in like forever, forever I would buy Chuck's, Chuck Taylor's, low top. And my mom always hated the shoes. She's like, you're replacing them every two years. Like, ay, mami, pues los compro porque no cuesta mucho, están baratos. No, pues lo barato cuesta, mijo, lo barato cuesta. <laughs> and I would always ignore it. And look, buying Chuck Taylor's was cool and cheap when they were like 35 bucks or even, or I, I still remember when it was 25 bucks. Era como, whatever, you buy a whole bunch. I, you know, now I'm smart because if I, if there's something I like, Right now, while I have money, I'll buy like 50 of them. So they'll last me for like a decade or whatever. I should have done that with these chucks when they were 25 bucks. Now they're probably like 75 bucks. They're not worth it. Like they're cheap. They are a cheap shoe. They wear out super, super fast. So I remember a couple of years ago, I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna buy, I'm not gonna use chucks anymore. And they, they became part of like my persona. If people knew me. They always expect me with chucks. I would wear chucks with like suits and todo eso. And then one day I'm like, I, I'm not gonna wear them. So I told my wife, like, hey, you know, let's go. I don't know where to buy nice shoes. So she's like, let's let's go to Nordstrom's. And so we got we went to Nordstrom's, and I bought like, I guess they're boots. They're like a shoe with a heel. And they're like, ¿Cómo se dice? Yeah, like a little bit high tops. So I kind of like a boot, although I don't consider them to be a boot. Leather, nice, like two hundred and some bucks. Yeah, it costs a lot of money. But you know what? I bought them five years ago. They're almost like <laughs> the same. They're almost the same. You have to take care of them. You know, the tienes que cuidar. But think about it. I spent 250 bucks one time. If I kept if I kept buying Chucks, let's say they're 70 now, or uh, that's been five years ago. So set, I'm bad at math, seven, five, that'd be $350 uh, that I would have already spent. So right there off the bat, I, I saved about a hundred bucks. So just in general, I, I love Lo Barato Cuesta because it's it's so wise about life. It's also tells you don't cut corners. Lo, lo duro, you know, the, the, the hard stuff is the, stuff that, you know, ends up making you successful. Uh, you know, it's not a dicho, it's, it's my own uh, saying. I guess I guess it could be a dicho, but I'll say it in English. I always tell people, you want, you don't want to surround yourself with people who want all of the easy and none of the hard. You want mm -hmm. the people who want to be right in the hard because that's what forges you into a successful person and be able to live the life that you want after that. Lo barato okay. cuesta. Thank you so much, Gustavo Arellano. It, it's been really great having these wonderful conversations with you. Hopefully you're not going to be me. like, crying tonight like oh she asked me this question no, she put me no. on the hot spot <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I answer all questions as you can tell i think i'm in a good spot in my in my mind yeah. so I, I ask them but it's, it was a great question though I, I again anytime people ask me questions i've never heard before the, like what i always tell people because i teach a journalism class like as a as a, as a journalist you always want to ask a question that stops people and then they say that's a good question because that means our mind is thinking because they don't know how to answer because we're all so rehearsed we all know what we want to broadcast about ourselves in our life so to make people think that's a talent so kudos yeah. to you yeah well and that honestly that's probably a parallel in journalism and therapy that's that's what 
in therapy, it's the same so thing. True. Like you want to ask a question that's going to make people think a little yeah. bit. In, yeah, totally. No, 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 no. It's mm -hmm. totally awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, thank you so much. And, you know, we, we are fans. I've been a, a long fan of yours for a long oh, time. So I'm you. like, You're kind. It, it was almost like, oh, we're going to have a celebrity. Yay. You know? <laughs> I, I, I'm just a kid from Anaheim. I'm from Anaheim. That's all I am. So am I. So am I. People always try to make me like, I, and, you know, thank you for thinking that. Thank you for knowing my work. But I, I've always grounded myself. I never forget who I am. I never forget where I came from. And people who know, you know, people who know me from high school, they'll tell you, like, they don't even call me Gustavo. They call me Gus. They're one of the, they're, they're very few people ever allowed to call me Gus, but they'll say like, yeah, Gus is, Gus is the same since high school. You know, I'm still that nerd who gets in trouble, <laughs> always asks questions, but is really kind and very loyal to people. And that's just who I am. Yeah. Those are really good qualities. I appreciate you. your groundedness and I, I appreciate I can tell that you you really check your privilege and I and I think that's that's awesome. Café, 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 café con emoción. Café, 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 café con emoción. Café, 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 café con emoción. Café con emoción.